In my um, years of ministry, I've been privileged to be able to go on a significant uh, number of, of mission trips overseas. And um, I've been to places, uh, remote places, extremely uh, remote places, up in the jungles in Brazil. I've uh, been able to go to multiple trips to Africa and, and to be in some of the poorest places in Africa. I've been able to go uh, to Haiti uh, a bunch of times, Haiti, the poorest country in our hemisphere. I've been able to, to, to go to Ukraine and, and see in Ukraine kind of the tale of, of, of two towns, a, a town with rich kids and, and well-off kids, and, and then to go and to be, see kids that are, come from extreme poverty. And uh, here's, here's what I've found, is that so often Christians in the poorest places have rich spirits, but Christians in rich places so often have poor spirits. Now, why is that? Why, why would it be that those who have an abundance and live in abundance so often end up in such a place of poverty of their soul. And yet, those who literally live with dirt floors and thatch roofs and often couldn't tell you where their next three meals are coming from are rich in spirit. Why is that? Now, I need to add a caveat. Because in the later years, and you got to remember when, when I first came into ministry in the early 2000s, I'm going, but uh, the later years of, of doing ministry and going places, it became kind of strange. You could go into an incredibly poor place. And I, I remember I was in Zimbabwe. This wasn't on a mission trip, but I was in Zimbabwe. I was way, way deep in the bush. And I remember seeing... A young man uh, on a cart uh, being pulled by a donkey talking on a cell phone. That's interesting. You know, you wouldn't think you'd see that. And what I've noticed in, in, in a lot of places that I go, uh, the young, young guys, the young girls, they have cell phones. And on their cell phones, guess what they have? Social media. And guess what they want? American things. They, they ask me questions like, hey, in America, is this true? Do you really have multiple bathrooms inside your house? Yeah. Can you really just drive up in a car and go into a restaurant? Yeah, like those are the questions they're asking. And the more their eyes begin to, to, to be on what they don't have, and their eyes are on the world elsewhere, then what happens? Then they also become poor in spirit. And so... Here is the big truth I want you to see today as we open up God's Word. Uh, I, this, this big truth I think you could probably apply to a lot of passages in the Bible, but I think we can draw this from this passage. Here it is. When Christians seek first the kingdom of God, they glorify God and they get to appear with Him in glory. I'll read it again. When Christians seek first the kingdom of God, they glorify God and get to appear with him in glory. Uh, let's get going starting in verse 13, right where we left off last week. 
Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as, as small as a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God... So close the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all these nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasures in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, um, and we consider Scripture in context and um, last week, we have, to, we have to remember what we were taught last week as we consider this passage. Um, last week, we, we have this, this message to us that's to have no fear of them who can kill the body and the soul. Have no fear of those in the world who will persecute you. Uh, have no fear of Satan. You're not to, to fear Satan. He, he can't cause you to go to hell. He can't, he can't do those things. Rather, fear who? Fear God, fear me, because I'm the one in authority. But he turns around and says, fear me. And he, and, he, and he turns around and says, but you don't have to fear me. He says this, in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. 
Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And so, he, he puts our lives and he compares them to, uh, to, to two sparrows. These five sparrows, rather, sold for two pennies that aren't worth anything. They're, they're worth so very little and said, aren't their needs met? Aren't their needs cared for? Aren't, don't, don't I meet their needs? I'm going to meet yours. Not one of them is forgotten before God. I'm going to meet yours. He says, why even the, the hairs of your head are numbered? I so know your needs. I know the right amount of conditioner you need. Right? I, know, I know everything. I know, I know the, every hair on your head, every molecule, molecule in your body, I'm able to know it. So he gives us this command. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. You're of value. And so we have to know going into this passage, we're going to talk about money and riches and all these things, that it is you yourself that is valuable to God. God cares for you. God loves you. God knows what is best for you. He, he has a plan and a purpose for those who've placed their faith and trust in him. He is going to take care of you. He is going to provide for you. He's going to give you what you need. Okay? We've got to know that coming in. So, verse 13, as we take apart today's text. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'll tell you. When I read that passage, I have lived this out. Um, when, when I was a kid, um, on my mom's side of the family, uh, so it would be my granny on my mom's side, her brothers and sisters fought like cats and dogs. And they, they when their parents died, and so I was a, I was a young child, uh, when, their, when their parents died, my great-grandparents, but they fought over inheritance. They fought over who was getting what. And it's not like they were like rich families. They're talking about families that didn't have much. Like they're fighting over things like spittoons. If you don't know what that is, let me explain. My granny Pittman, um, she, she dipped snuff and oh, oh, it was like, kind of like chewing tobacco or dip that you would see today, but... You could tell back then if someone was level-headed or not if, if spit ran out of both sides of their mouth. And the spittoon would sit in the corner, and she could sit in her chair, and she could hit that thing from, like, from me to my son, and it'd make a noise. Ba-ding! You know, that's the kind of thing they were fighting over. Who gets her spittoon? That's gross, right? Welcome to Appalachia. Uh, that's like, you, you Mountain West people are like, yeah, we're way better than that. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> um, you have no clue. Uh, amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Got me here as fast as you did. Uh, they, I mean, I'm telling you, the kind of things that they fought over. And, and they, like, divide the inheritance. No, I get this, and I get this, and I get this. And I'm telling you, there, I, I had great aunts and uncles that for 20 years would not speak to each other. And on their deathbeds, refused to forgive the inheritance. I, I remember... I was at my aunt's house, and after my, my granny had died, and there was this pot of some sort, and my sister was, it was like, it, it was like kind of grown up and in these weeds, and my sister was going to get this thing out and clean it up and take it home, and my aunt went off, and it caused this rift between my aunt and my mom, 
And I looked at my brother and my sister, and I said, they did it, now they're doing it, we ain't doing it, right? I said, listen, I don't care, I don't want any of it. Y'all take all the junk, I'm out. <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to let this divide our, our family and our relationship. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's, not, it's not worth it, I'm not going to do it. This has happened over and over and over. Back to, to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Well, that's a hard one for me today. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so here's my first big idea. Seeking more of the world is going to leave you empty. The more you seek of the world, the more you try to fill up your, yourself on the things of the world, the emptier, emptier you are going to believe. We all believe this lie. We all believe it. If I just have this, then I'll be happy. And then what do we do? We get that thing. And we get that thing, and we take it home, and we, put the, we unpackage it, and we put the cardboard in the recycling thing. And, and because our recycling doesn't even come out it's every two weeks, like before the recycling gets taken off, we already want the next thing. Like the package hasn't even made it out of the house yet. And we already think it's the next thing that's going to make me happy. And we do this over and over and over. Man, it starts when we're kids, right? And we just think, if I get this toy, we set our minds on the toy. And, and you know the, the difference between boys and, and, and grown men? The cost of their toys, right? It was a, it was a $12 Lego. Now it's $1,200 whatever, right? And it's just more and more and more. Are we, we, just, we just want and we think, Man, if I can just get more of these things of, of the world, and, and the older we get, the more pressure we get to obtain those things. You know, we, we think like we're in high school, and it's about the car, and it's about this, and hey, it's in college, and it's this thing, and it's this thing, and you get out, and you've got to buy a house, and a house is going to make you happy. Oh, buddy, let me tell you, man, that house is going to cause you so much headache. Man, I'll tell you what, last night... I don't know why. i got to figure this out today. I hadn't had time, but our air conditioner broke again for the second time this summer, sweating all night. I was like, man, I don't like winter, but I'm ready <laughs> for a little cooler weather, weather. Not winter, but just a little cooler. Uh, it, it, we just we add on. It piles on, and we piles on. I often look at, look at our boys sometimes, and I'll say, hey, your wanter is broken. My wanter is broken. Like, we want things. And we think that we get it, and we just want and want and want and want. And it can cause all sorts of anxiety. And here is just the truth. The more of the world that you get, the more it is going to leave you empty, unsatisfied. More stuff is not the answer. We live in a uh, consumeristic society where we consume, 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 and it will take your Joy, And so what does he say? But take guard against this. Be aware of this. Take guard against coveting other people's stuff. Uh, having idolatry, idolizing things. I just want to point out, and we see it in the end of this passage, what he, get, he tells us what to do. So sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Uh, we see that this is New Testament principle. One way that we take guard against this is generosity. 
generosity fights for us giving away things, fights for us the need to want more and more and more. And so even when we, when we talk about generosity, seeing a need and meeting it, we look at the Old Testament principle of tithing, it guards us against that and it shows, shows us that, hey, we're setting our hearts on God, we're making God the thing that we're dependent on, not on ourselves. And so generosity helps guard, guard, guard us against this. I want to show you another aspect in this, and it's, it's the fact that we will pursue things of the world and forsake relationships when, when it is the relationships that God has given us, one with Him, two with our, our, uh, those who are married to their spouses, to their children, uh, loving God, loving neighbor, pursuing relationships, um, that, that are more important than worldly riches. And this guy was willing to sacrifice the relationship to get more stuff. And man, so many of us, men in the room, so many of us do this in our pursuit of, it, it can very much start out in like this, this genuine place of like we're pursuing our career, we're pursuing to provide for our family, but we can get to a spot where we forsake our family and we forsake relationships to go after greed. Because, because the success and the, the money gets to us. And so he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The amount of things you have, the number of things that you have when you die, is not the sum total of your life. One of my friends used to wear a shirt around my brother because my brother had lots of toys and so one of his friends would show up to his house wearing this shirt. And it would say, it said, who dies, he who dies with the most toys still dies. That guy didn't get invited to my brother's funeral. Not making that up. Um, it's true. He who dies with the, the most toys still dies. And you can have a lot and you can be lonely. And so Jesus then teaches him a parable. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now I want to point out something. The land of a man produced plentifully. And there's no acknowledgement that the Lord is the one who causes the land to produce plentifully. He's the one who brings the rain. He's the one who uh, makes sure that the, the, the seed uh, brings root and, and grows. It is part of the Lord's doing. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I saw one commentator say, This is the only time in the Bible that retirement is mentioned. They describe this as retirement. I'll store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, when I turn 65, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's my next big idea. 
is that seeking the things of this world will cost you your soul. We know from Scripture that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, this verse, this verse when we quote that, it so often gets misquoted. And, and you hear it rather say, money is the root of all evil. In fact, that's not what Scripture says. Money's an inanimate object. Money's not evil in and of itself, but rather the love of money is the root of all evil. And so, remember, one's life does not consist in the abundance. This, this guy in this parable, he has abundance. He'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and I'll store up my grain, and I'll say to my soul, we good. We're good. We can relax now. Listen, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his property or in the abundance of his real estate portfolio. It's not in the abundance of your financial security or your physical safety or your epic experiences or in the new, this new generation getting to live life in a van down by the river. It's, it's not that. It's, it's not your Roth IRA or your 401k. That is not where it comes from. That is not what's going to bring you joy. But if you run after and you seek the things of the world, and that's what you do, when you die, it will cost you your soul. Remember, he said last week, fear God, the one who can actually send you to hell. Don't reject God for the rubbles of this world. We see over and over in Scripture that man... The things that we store up, fire can burn them. Moths can destroy them. Thieves can steal them. Don't get me going on thieves. We've had some stuff stolen from here. The Longs Peak Baptist Association had a, our block party trailer stolen. They're not mad at thieves right now. I almost preached a sermon this morning on stealing. Um, Thieves can steal it. It can burn. The stock market can crash. We can have uh, government influences that come in and tax the mess of it and take it away. What, however you want to look at it. Cause the stock market to crash. Interest rates can rise. All those things can happen. It can all fall apart. And so whether or not it falls apart, is one's, one's life does not consist in the abundance of those things. So this is what he says. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I want you to understand something. Being wise, being good stewards, investing, making money, having property, having a Roth IRA, a 401k, having physical safety, having a, a, a epic experiences. There's nothing sinful or wrong about those. There's not. There's nothing sinful and wrong about those. Matter of fact, we would call that, it could be wise stewardship. Proverbs chapter 6, we can see this. We can go to a, a number of places, but I just like this example. Proverbs chapter 6, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, when you will arise from your sleep? Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. They're just not the sum total of our lives. The riches of life don't necessarily come from them. Should we prepare for the future? Yes. 
Should you have a three to six month emergency fund? Yes. Should you make wise choices about the homes that you own and the properties at home and how you invest your money? Absolutely. Those are good things. You, you ought to do those. It's not a sin to have an abundance of any of those things. It's just sinful to idolize them and to trust them for your security rather than trusting for God who gave you every one of those good gifts. That's where the problem comes. The problem comes and we're so successful and we figure it all out and we figure out how to make money and we, we, we look at those things that we think we don't need God. On the other hand, there's some who will never figure those things out but always have their eyes on doing them, accruing them, storing them up. They'll, they'll covet for them. They'll, they'll look at it and it's the things that they don't want and those things both lead to destruction. May of 2000, John Piper preached one of the most famous sermons in modern history. It was at a passion one day, I believe it was in Washington, D.C., and it was a sermon about seashells. Many of you have heard that sermon. If you haven't heard that sermon, you should look it up and you should go and listen to it. But he changed the trajectory of this part of this American generation, part of the, the Gen Xers, who showed up and said, you know what? My goal in life is to no longer be able to retire and go to the beach and pick up seashells off the seashore. I'm surprised I got that out. Rather, I'm going to live my life for God. My passion is going to pursue the things of the Lord. And, and my purpose is going to be to seek out His kingdom and not the things of the world. It's not just about building up some more storehouses. But it's about expending my time and energy seeking the kingdom of God. May we be part of that Jesus generation. Be part of a generation of people that, that aren't living for the worldly things. That aren't living for worldly comfort. But seeking what God has for us in his kingdom. And so verse 22. And he said to his disciples. Therefore I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat. Nor about your body. What you will put on. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Here's my next big idea. The antidote to anxiety is seeking the kingdom of God. Of God. Um, I think there's, there's, I don't want to put this in a simple box. I know we have, we have anxiety and people have anxiety over different things. And there's all sorts of anxieties. But a key 
to fighting anxiety is to seek the kingdom of God. I, you, may have, you may have heard somebody say this before. Do you know what the, the antidote to worry is? It's worship. Right? You, you, you can't worship you can't worry and worship at the same time. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're seeking uh, the kingdom of God, it is one of the ways that we fight anxiety. When we talk about worship in our church, um, we, we talk about taking our minds and putting them on Christ. And here's the problem is that so often we take our minds' attention and our hearts' affection and we place them on the things of the world. And that's not worship. Worship is taking your mind's attention and your heart's affection and placing them on the Lord for who He is and what He has done. And when we do that, when we seek the kingdom of God, and let me just define that really quick because I've been talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of God is seeking God. It's seeking God, it is will, His good pleasure. It's seeking to do the, the task that He's given to us after we've come to know Him. It is loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. It is loving our neighbor as ourselves. It is answering the call to the Great Commission to make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's taking uh, the commands of Christ to, to raise our families, to disciple our children, to reach our neighbors, to proclaim, disciple, serve, multiply. That's seeking the kingdom of God. And so if our mind is on those things... We, it, it, will, it will bring our anxiety down because we're not thinking about the thing that's making us anxious. And, and so often the things that make us anxious, we have absolutely zero control of them. In verse 25, when he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life or your kid's life or anybody else's life? You cannot. It is 100% out of your control. And so, here, seek the kingdom of God. He, he brings up the, 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 the raven, and he brings up the lily. And I find this very interesting, that these are the two things that Jesus uses in this passage. The raven uh, was considered an unclean animal. Uh, they, ravens, um, there's not, by the way, there's not a place on the planet that there's not a raven. There's a raven or a crow. Uh, we would call it, they're, they're kind of a smaller uh, version of it here. We would call it a crow. Uh, but, but anywhere you go on the planet, there's ravens and crows. Uh, I mean, except maybe Antarctica. Um, you know what I meant. And they're considered unclean because they're scavengers. They, they'll, they'll eat dead things. Uh, you it doesn't matter what, what it is, a, a crow will eat it, right? And so th this would have been considered unclean. And he goes, the Lord cares for this. The Lord cares for this. this. This unclean thing, the Lord cares for it. Then he brings up a lily, a delicate thing. Such a, such a, 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 little, a, a little delicate, beautiful thing, and yet with no defense of itself. Something that, that easily can be in the field today and thrown into the oven tomorrow. And yet he clothes the lilies. He cares for the, the lilies. And so this is what we do when we seek, seek God. It is in, to increase our faith knowing he will clothe us. We're, we're not worried about what's going to happen. We're not worried about what we're doing. We're going to do what God, God has called us to do. Place our mind's attention, our heart's affection on those things. And he says, and do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink. 
Nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And so my next big idea is to seek the kingdom of God and let God take care of the rest. If you are saying, God, I'm going to align my life with your will. I'm going to submit myself to you. And what you have called me to, I'm going to follow you in. What you lead me to, I'm going to follow you in. I'm going to trust you. My, my life is yours. I'm putting my yes on the table. What I'm telling you is he will take care of the rest. Now, there's a prosperity gospel that Americans love. And the prosperity gospel that Americans love is if you just have faith, God will give you X. If you just do uh, this thing, say this prayer, do this act, have, have enough faith, if you just believe, God will give you this abundant blessing. And the problem with that prosperity gospel is it looks like a whole lot of things that we're just worried, warned about. It's like, it's, it's about your storehouses. It's, it's about things that aren't about the kingdom of God. And so that becomes the problem. We, we in America rush to that prosperity gospel. Now, in our culture, do we go to like this full-blown prosperity gospel? Oh, no. No, we, we, we know enough to know that we can get stuff done ourselves. Like, we know the real antidote in our minds to anxiety is action. And we'll just go and we'll, we'll, we'll come after the American dream. But we just need a little bit of God's blessing and favor and then we can get it done. You know the new prosperity gospel that a lot of theologians are saying for, for our young uh, uh, millennials and Gen Z the new prosperity gospel is that if you just have enough faith, God will remove your depression, anxiety. Uh, he'll fight that kind of battle, your emotional battle. You've got all these other battles where, where you have the older generations that wanted more stuff. It's, it's, it's a lot of the younger generations, they want their anxiety gone. They want their, 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 their different fear, whatever the FOMO or whatever new, new kind of thing that we had diagnosed, they, they want that thing gone. And the truth is, when you seek the kingdom of God and you put your mind's attention and your heart's affection on the Lord for who he is and what he's done, your eyes will be on him. When you, you'll have the faith to go, God will take care of the rest. I'm trusting that the Lord is going to work this out. I think of what Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. He said, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is yours, your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put your, your mind on the things of the Lord and you, you get busy doing the Lord's business. Not, not in order to save you, but because he saved you. I'm, I'm going to tell you, in, in my years of ministry, in Jennifer's years of ministry, we have, we have sat with a lot of people. And we've discipled a lot of people. And, and in sitting, sitting with people and, and helping them work through issues and discern what God has for their life, the, the number one thing that, that 
we try to get them to do is put their minds on Christ, to put their, their, their minds on Scripture, not to sit around and, and look at what they don't have. I'll just give you, give you an example of this that I've seen over and over, and that's a, that's a single person. Now listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being single. And some people, they, I mean, the Apostle Paul says to be single and celibate, that can be a blessing. The Lord can use that for ministry. But there are, there, that is a good thing. But there are other people who God has really put, I mean, they just have a desire in their heart to have a relationship and to be married. And if I just get a husband or a wife, I'll be happy. All the married people in the room roll your eyes and like, oh man, you have no clue what a headache that dude is. Uh, that dude is going to, man, he's going to drive you crazy. And so they sit around, and it can be a guy, it can be a girl, and they sit around in their singleness, and they worry about their singleness. And they think, they're my single. Am I going to be, am I gonna be the, the old lady with cats? You know, am I going to be the, the old man that's, a, that's alone and has all this money, and uh, no, no one loves me? Right? You worry about these things. And you know what we've seen? We've seen I've seen people, and I've, I've got these, these people in my life that I've known for, for, for 15 years who've, who've sat and worried in their, their, their singleness, and they have anxiety over it. And it's like, in their actions and in their worry, it's like, it's actually causing their future to be the way that it is. But yet I've seen other people, we've counseled other people who just like start doing ministry. Who start making disciples, who seek God, who get in His Word, who, who serve. And all of a sudden, they're married. You're like, how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. They made themselves attractive because of their love for the Lord and their love for, 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 for His kingdom, and they're pouring their lives into to others. They're making disciples, and somebody comes along and goes, man, I want a wife like that. I wonder if I got a shot. And she looks at him, and she's like, man, that, that guy, he's serving. Like I, I could see myself with a guy that loves the Lord like that. And next thing you know, they're married. I've seen people who, who need a job, and they sit there in the crippleness, and they, they this look, and they, they, one, they start off, it almost is always this way, this is true in dating too, where their standard is way too high, and if I don't make such and such money, I'm not going to have that job. And so their standard set way up here, and it lowers and lowers and lowers, and before too many years go by, they've been living in their mom's basement for way too long. And they're, they're, they're crippled by anxiety, rather than going out and looking for a job, taking it. Man, we've seen this with couples who want a baby so bad. And man, let me tell you, that's a great desire. He who desires children desires a good thing. They're a blessing from the Lord. Not every couple can have them. You, when you get married, you often think, when you start trying to have kids, like, oh, you just pop those things out. It's just super easy. Uh, ain't nothing easy about it, and it's incredibly hard for some people. Child, child rearing isn't just a given. And there are, there are some who will never have children. And, and you know, I, I mentioned, I think it was last week or the week before, I mentioned Harris Presley, Harris and Karen never have children. That's why they adopted me. You know, that's why they, that's why they loved on me. That's why I got to be such an important part of their life. They, they, they sought of and the Lord took that void and he filled it with other people. But there are going to be people who when they just sit there and, and worry and anxiety, they don't have children. And have you ever noticed that so often that, that, that those couples will then go and adopt and then not long after they adopt, they're able to have children? And it's like when their mind goes to kingdom things, it's like then, then the Lord does it and he meets them there. And so here's, here's just... Here's what I'm going to tell you is trust the Lord, 
Seek the kingdom and let God take care of the rest. Let him meet the need. God knows every hair on your head. He knows what you need. He is protecting you from the things that you don't need. You have to realize that when you look around and you see someone else and you see what they have and you want what they have, but God doesn't bless you with that, you shouldn't be mad at God for not giving you that. You should be thankful that he's given you what you need and he's protected you from what you don't need. You can trust the Lord. I'm going to read Colossians 3 again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Now go back to the big truth. He said, if you seek the kingdom, you, you will bring God glory, but you will get to be with him in glory. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love giving my children gifts. I love seeing their faces light up. I, I love, I love it. I, like I love Christmas morning when they come downstairs. I love the look on their face. Like I love them, they're giving them good gifts. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Therefore, be generous. The Lord's going to replenish. The Lord's going to give you more than what you need. Give to the needy. Steward it well. And do that and you'll provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Like, this is what's beautiful about the Lord and meeting our needs. You know, the most generous people that I know typically are the people who get more and more and more from God because they're stewarding what he's given them well. Too much, who much is given, much is required. And I watch people. I watch churches. I, I, you know, I, I, think, I think about the questions that were asked of us when we were sending out Durango. And we're sending out uh, 22 people. And man, such an important part of our church. And people are going, how are you going to do that? How are you going to continue to function as a church? Isn't it all going to fall apart? God will take care of it. I'm just trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. And man, sure enough, the Lord has done it. He's replaced it. And, and, and not a day went by where the Lord hasn't continued to replace and to give and to give. And so, this is this, is this beautiful thing where the, the, the Lord does it. He does it with our possessions. We give to the needy. The Lord meets our needs. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Here's my, my last big idea. Is that God loves you enough to send his son to die for you. Treasure Christ and his Christ and set your mind on the kingdom of God. It is the Father's good pleasure to give us what we need. And it was the Father's good pleasure that when we were in our sinful state, when we were in our rebellion against God, when we, when we wanted to kill Jesus, when we wanted nothing to do with him, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that those who would believe in him would not perish but have 
everlasting life. They would be with him in the kingdom of God. You seek first the kingdom of God, seeking to bring him glory, and you get to live with him in glory. You get to be a part of his kingdom now. You get to be a part of the work that he's doing here on earth as we are commanded to make disciples and love the Lord our God and to love people. Today, as we respond, we're going to respond to this sermon with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a declaration of our dependence on Him. A declaration that we cannot save ourselves. A declaration that we cannot plan our own ways. A declaration that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways. This is a declaration that His blood and His body are enough. That we don't need the things of the world, that we need Christ. We take this in a minute. This is, this is uh, what, I, what I want you to do. Um, there's, there's, there's instructions given to us on how we would take the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're, we're to evaluate our lives. We're, we're to, to, to look and not eat in this bread of an unworthy manner, but rather to examine ourselves. Am I trusting in the blood of Christ? Am I trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Am I trusting in the gospel for salvation? Or am I trusting in the things of the world? I want you to examine that today. Do you have more trust in your 401k? Than you do in Jesus. Do you have more trust in your possessions. Than you do in Jesus. In your relationships that you do in Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote the church at Corinth. In, in, in uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. He said for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. He took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what this, this blood, this, this blood is a proclaiming that the Lord's death is for us. It's proclaiming that the Lord's, that, that Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So the, we may not be condemned along with the world. And so the, the call is to examine yourselves. Don't lie about it. Listen, if you're not a Christian in the room today, if you don't believe in Christ, no one's looking around checking to see if you're taking communion. It would actually be kind of odd uh, for you to, to, to do something that symbolizes Jesus' blood on the cross for you. If you're a Christian in the room and, and, and you're 
holding on to the wrong things, and you've got the sin of coveting. Maybe it's another sin. Maybe it's, it's fornication, uh, a, a, adultery. Maybe it's uh, some, some sort of other, other sin, stealing, lying, greed, whatever it is. If you're unwilling to repent of that, don't take this cup. But that is not the goal. The goal is to examine yourself, to look and to go cry out to God in these next moments. Lord, I'm convicted. I'm trusting in the things of the world and I want to trust in the things of you, Lord. I'm making a commitment. I'm trusting in you. And then and only then, come and take communion. I'm going to ask the band uh, to come back up and, and to play. I'm going to ask you to, to stand there and stand and sing here in a second and to pray and to get right with God. To examine your life and to see, am I living my life how I'm supposed to live it? Am I just consumed with the things of the world or am I consumed with seeking the kingdom of God? Let's be a people who seek the kingdom of God. So Father, we love you and we, we praise you and I thank you for your word that it convicts. And Lord, I'm convicted by this passage. I hope there's no one in this room who's not convicted by this passage. Lord, let that conviction spare us your discipline, spare us your rod of correction. Let this be a grace in our life that we hear this message today and we repent and we change the way we live it. That we wouldn't just live it for the things of the world, but we would live it for your kingdom. That we would let go of the things that hold us back. Let, hold of the thing, let, let go of the things that keep us from serving you. Keep us from being sold out for you. Let us live for you and your kingdom and your kingdom alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Take the Lord's Supper together.